0: Our scripture for today is John 12, 37 through 50. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, in turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me, this is the word of the Lord
1: Thank you, Kim. Um, one of the reasons that we stand too is not just because you know of something to do it's it's to really seek to honor the the word of God uh, that's proclaimed over us and and w- with a heart too of um, i've heard it said, I thought it was neat that um, w- when we're praying if if we're just Talking to God, like it's, it's good when we pray to talk with God. <laughs> that, that's really good. And uh, a, a, not the exclusive, but a major way that God talks back to us is through his word. And, and that is so much of his communication to us and, and directing us and directing our hearts. And, um, and so for us to even stand out of honor for, for his word is, is really good. It's good to posture our hearts that way. Um, it's It's good to be together. I kind of have a heavy heart having us uh gathered today. We had uh, a beloved man in our community, Brett beavers pass away uh, last night um, a guy that uh, forty one years old uh, leaves behind uh, uh, just a dear wife and and two little kids and many of you love him and and um it definitely a a big loss in our community and it it's made me um, just to desire to pray for his family, to support his family, um, but then also to—I um, was just th- last night and this morning, just uh, both being grieved by by that, uh, but also rejoicing and rejoicing at at uh, at many things, and and one of them was was this really amazing conversation that um, Brett and I, I, I remember growing up with Brett and our uh, parents were friends with each other and um, my, my dad played poker with his dad and stuff and sometimes like we would all just hang out as little kids and stuff and, um, and what was interesting was, was being able to move back here and reconnect with Brett um, shortly after he heard that his cancer had come back for a second time and it was actually on his 40th birthday uh, I thought it would be just good to, on his 40th birthday in June of last year, that I thought I would just stop by and I uh, bought him a nice Bible and different things and and him and I were sitting at this this little table having a conversation and uh, it was just during the day and uh, our conversation moved towards Jesus and we were we were talking about Jesus and and um, I remember just vividly asking him, like, hey, I've seen you like post on these Facebook pages and this and this and this, and I was like, you know, can I ask you like a question? He was like, Oh yeah, totally. And I was like, If if you were to die and you were to stand before God the Father, and God the Father says, Why should I let you in? What would you say? And I remember him being like, oh, man, that, no one's ever asked me that, and, and was really thinking about it, and was really expressive about it. And he was like, I have always tried to be a good person, was what he, very clearly. I've, I've always tried to be a good person. <clears throat> and I, I remember in that moment with Brett just thinking, I'm sitting before a really good guy Like, uh, and I even gave him some examples. I was like, you know, you you bought some pasture land that my family used to own, and my favorite fishing pond was on that pasture land. And I asked my dad, like, hey, do you think Brett would let? us fish there just for nostalgia sake. We never caught fish there, but it was my favorite spot, even though it wasn't a fruitful spot, but it was just, there were beautiful oak trees around there and stuff. And I remember Brett was just like, oh yeah, you just, whenever he wants to fish, just he can go, you know, and stuff like that. And so I shared with Brett just several examples of like, being like, Brett, you are a really, like, I think you're above average as it relates to to being a good guy. And then, um, but as we sat there, I, I remember, sharing with him and saying, if being a good guy is bad admission to heaven, like being a good guy is good. No one is advocating bad men to rule the world or whatever, or, but if being a good guy is bad admission to heaven, would you want to know? And I remember without hesitation, he was like, of course I would. Just like that. I mean, just without hesitation. Of course I would. And I said, well, can I share what God has said? Like, these aren't my words. Can I share what God has said about admission to heaven? And he was like, well, absolutely. And, um, and so I walked him through several verses that I looked back over our text messages because um, he asked me to, to text all of those verses to him later in the day and stuff and um, shared with him where God actually loves us too much to let that be admission to heaven. And he loves us too much to even entrust that to us. And he actually entrusted it to himself, our redemption. And he actually did what we could have tried to do but would have not been successful to do. And he accomplished on our behalf so that what we do is we, we place ourselves, we say what Jesus did that's my admission. What Jesus did to live the life I couldn't live, what Jesus did to pay the price I couldn't pay, um, I place myself in Jesus's hands. I give my life to Jesus. I believe in him for my salvation. And God says, that is the only admission that is acceptable. And so, so I remember being like, he was super tracking and being like, do you, is that what you want to do? And he was like, yes, that is what I want to do. And very emphatically, I remember, like, we got on our knees in his house. Uh, he prayed, uh, and I didn't have to, like, guide him in a prayer. He was like, I know what I'm doing. You know, and he, he uh, gave his life to Jesus. And, um, and I remember, like, that day, him, uh, you know, his 40th birthday. And that day, I remember him, like, as I was getting ready to leave, he was like, I found God on my birthday, and I kind of tongue-in-cheek said, well, I think he found you, but like, but yes, you found him too, you know, and, um, and just his, I mean, it's been a hard road for them, but his, uh, um, he would text me occasionally and just being like, man, like thank you for introducing me to him you know and i was like man i didn't i didn't do any of this but his heart towards like i can talk to him i know him i i like i read his word and i understand what he's saying to me and so it was with heavy heart but also like um the the bread is not lost <laughs> he's more at home than any of us are right now and um and man i'm, I'm just i'm i'm grateful that uh, for just the power of Jesus in our community, in, in Brett's life, and, um, and, and that even our focus today, what Jesus is imploring us like uh, each of us can look at Brett and be like man I want my life to be lined up with his life I want my heart to be as enthusiastically following the 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 well-lit path that God has given us and and for that to be to be our hearts as well and so um uh so man we're we're in John chapter 12 and um I'm excited for what the Lord's sharing with us this morning uh with a Heavy heart, but also with a with a knowledge of like, um, thinking of Brett, but thinking of each of us is, um, man, like I, I want us to 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 know Jesus for who He is, not kind of this like cultural thing that that maybe we've grown up with, but I want us to know Him for who He is, and for Him to even illuminate that for us even even more today. And we're at the end of John chapter 12. And I said this last week, but uh, basically 12 chapters of 21 chapters, 12 chapters are all of Jesus' life, basically. And then the last nine chapters is the last week of Jesus' life. So it's super heavy-weighted on the last week, meaning there's a lot for us in his last week. But today is kind of like his last message before we enter into this last week, which is has uh, there, there's a lot of moving parts in the last week. So this is kind of his last teaching before the, the last week. And um, one of the things that is amazing is if we go back and reread these first 11 chapters of John is all of the miracles that Jesus did. And he didn't do those just to show off. He did those so that we would be like, Nobody can do this. No one is this powerful, this all-knowing, this loving, this no one is able to, to undo the ravages of time and the ravages of a broken world. No one can so effortlessly undo these things unless who you say you are is probably true. So there have been powerful situations where Matthew, tax collector, comes to Jesus where a fisherman, Peter, a fisherman, comes to Jesus. There have been miraculous times where Jesus says, follow me. And people just, I don't, even, I don't even remember what I was planning to do for the next five years. I'm following Jesus. Like that has been, that has rewritten every plan I had. So there have been really fruitful aspects of Jesus' ministry in the last 11 chapters and I think the assumption could be, man, everybody probably follows Jesus. Like, think about it. if Jesus was in here doing everything he's doing, it would be like, and let's say he just does that in our community, it'd be like, surely everybody in our community is following Jesus, loves Jesus, is, is just consumed by Jesus, and like, it's crazy revival everywhere. And what is amazing in a negative way is how few are actually following him. So people are following him. Matthew, his disciples are following him. There's there's hundreds of people that are following him, but there aren't hundreds of thousands of people that are following him like there should be. And so he goes in this direction where we're going to be today, where he actually called it. He called it. Like, you, you could look at Jesus and be like, well, maybe Jesus needed, like, a better marketing department. Or maybe he, like, needed to work a little harder to, like, really gain a following or something like that. Like, you could, you could be like, you know, maybe something's broken in why there are hundreds and not hundreds of thousands following Jesus at this time. But he actually prophesied this 700 years before he even showed up he prophesied that this is what was going to happen. He's, he's calling it in advance. That the king would come and he wouldn't be heard. That he wouldn't be followed and that he would be rejected. And that God would actually be orchestrating that. God would be orchestrating his rejection. So let's look at, we're going to pick it up in the second half of verse 36 of chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 36, the second half says, and the verses will be up here too if that would serve you well. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So Isaiah wrote this 700 years before Jesus showed up. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39, therefore, they could not believe. They could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he, God, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. So he calls it. He calls their lack of belief. And it isn't because what they're being offered is something that isn't worth believing in. It isn't because Jesus is lacking who he is, what he says, what he's offering. The reason that they are not believing is that they are fulfilling scripture. The Lord has blinded their eyes. We don't think this way very often. The Lord has blinded their eyes. He has hardened their hearts, lest they actually see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. They would not believe, they would not believe, and they could not believe. They would not believe, and they could not believe. And you're like, so God is preventing people from believing? I thought He wanted everybody to believe. But he's preventing people from believing. Um, Don't they have free will? Couldn't they believe if they wanted to? Don't they have a choice? And very appropriate here to have a conversation about what does the scripture teach us about who he is, about who God is, and how he interacts in the world. And I think the, the way that a lot of times it's framed In like a simplistic way, is that I want an or type of God? O-R. I want an or type of God. So um, like I want to follow this overly simplistic or philosophy. So you could say, hey, is God just or is he merciful? Is God just or is he merciful? Is God a merciful God who forgives people or Does he uphold justice and give them what is deserved? What or is he? Or, here's another one. Is God the creator? Or is he all-powerful? And the example that I've heard people say is like, can God create a rock that is so heavy that he can't pick it up? that's kind of the philosophical thing that people bring up sometimes. Like, is he the creator or is he all-powerful? And if, and if it's like, well, can God create a rock that is so heavy that he couldn't pick it up? If you're like, yeah, he could. It's like, well, isn't he all-powerful? Wouldn't he be able to pick it up? And if you're like, well, well no, he couldn't. It's like, what, he can't create something? He's limited by his creation? And, you know, it's like, I want an or answer there. The other or that uh, we encounter is, is God totally in control, or do humans have free will? Is God in control of everything, or are we able to have free will? Um, for each of these, for each of these, Scripture directs us in a, in a, a clear way that we don't have an or God we have an and God. We have an and God. God is merciful and just. His mercy and his justice are not competing. There's, it's a false dichotomy to pit those against each other. He is an and God. He is merciful and he is just. He is the creator and he is all powerful. And I think that rock thing, I think Jesus would just be like, you know, Come on. He he would have a really great one line that would just make them like never ask that question again. Um, And and I don't know what that line is, but he would. um, So he is the creator and he is all-powerful. God is in control and we have free will. God is in control and we have free will. God can blind people from seeing him for who he truly is and We are responsible if we reject him for a lifetime. Both of those things are totally congruent and are true. He is an and God. We live in an and world. Isaiah, verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah could see what is really there. Isaiah could see his glory Isaiah spoke of him. Isaiah saw Jesus, and he saw the glory of Jesus, and he spoke of Jesus hundreds of years in advance. And I think a great question for us is like, what do you desire? As this is Jesus' last teaching before he enters into the last week where he will teach us as well, but with a different lens, that what do you desire? Do you want to have your heart blinded toward God? It might seem like a silly question, but like, um, do you want to have your heart blinded towards God? Would you like to have a hard heart towards God? Would you like to truly see him? Would you like to see him how he is? To see him, uh, to see with your eyes his ways, as it says here, to understand him with your heart? Would you like to be healed by him? And I love, like script, we are. He is in control, and He even says, "Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." What do you desire? What is the affection of your heart? And Jesus is laying this out here. Like, what do you desire? What do you will? What is your free will? What do you desire? Isaiah, Isaiah saw His glory. He spoke of Him. man, what if like that's what describes each of us? And I was able to share like that described Brett, and what if that describes each of us, that like we saw him for who he really is, and we spoke. We did not remain silent. Verse 42, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, Gave their lives to Jesus. Many, many, or nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. They didn't speak. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Hey, man, that's like, a, if, if you were like, hey, could you give me a verse that I can chew on, think about, consider for the next week, maybe get a tattoo of, maybe so I see it, or I, I want a verse that will stick with me for a while, that will affect me. I would say, well, verse 43 would be a good contender, for they loved the glory of that comes from man, more than the glory that comes from God. Do you, do you see the direction there? So we, we sang beautiful, true uh, lyrics as we were worshiping God that were us giving God glory. Look here, though. He says, they love the glory that comes from man to them more than the glory that comes from God to them. Uh, so it's like, what is this? glory coming to me. What, if I'm receiving the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God, like, what are we talking about here? What does that look like? That's something I don't hear church talk about very much. And one of the sermons that, uh, so there are people that if you ask them, hey, what was the greatest sermon preached in the 20th century? And you're like, well, I mean, gosh, who has time to listen to all those, right? But there are many people who have considered that there was a sermon that was preached in 1942 at Oxford in England that uh, many people said this could have been one of the greatest, most influential sermons preached in the 20th century. It was preached right in the middle of World War II, right in the dark moments of world war ii it was preached on june 8th 1941 by c.s lewis who c.s lewis didn't preach a lot of sermons um but this was one that is it's known as the weight of glory is is kind of what it what it's known as it's it wasn't super long um but in this sermon what we see so the people here in verse 43 They desire the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's their desire. Lewis preaches a sermon about glory and about desire connected to glory. And at the end of the first paragraph of his sermon, I'm gonna have, uh, I'm kind of plagiarizing his sermon and my sermon a little bit, but because he speaks so well uh, and challenging too, it's like, he's calling us to think really deeply with the the part that it may deeply move us. And as he's thinking about glory, and at the end of his, just the first paragraph, uh, he says this about our desires. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. We are okay to make a mud pie in a slum, than to be on vacation at the ocean. We'd rather have, and what Jesus is sharing, we'd rather have the glory of man than the glory of God. And then Lewis spends a decent part of his sermon unpacking just the concept of glory. Lewis says that, uh, um, and, and even he's, maybe we haven't even considered what it means to receive glory from God. And Lewis says that one of the things that he wrestles with, and he was actually an English professor at Oxford, so he would know the medieval backgrounds of the word glory and all that stuff. But he even says, like, this word glory is really hard to define. And uh, he defined the terms like this, okay? He defined glory as this. He says, glory suggests two ideas to me, of which one seems wicked and the other ridiculous. Either glory means to me fame, or it means luminosity. As for the first, since to be famous means to be better known than other people, the desire for fame appears to me as a competitive passion, and therefore of hell rather than heaven. As for the second, who wishes to become a kind of living electric light bulb? And when he thinks of a human being glorified... He thinks, first of all, of being known, being famous. You know, it's like, man, if you had a billion Instagram followers, it'd be like, man, you would have fame, you would receive glory from people. And he's like, man, that was like a competitiveness because maybe if someone else has one more follower than me, there's going to be this competitiveness for me having ultimate glory. And so that kind of sounds like hell uh, then, when he considers luminosity, it, think of it as having your name in lights. You know, that being the sense of, like, man, my name is in lights. I've arrived. I've received, received glory. And here he says, do you really want to be a, a living electric light bulb? Like, does that, is that really where your desire is? Is, that, is this what we're talking about, about glorified? So for this first definition of glory, being famous Or more specifically, being known. Lewis explains the glory of being known. Being known, but not in the way that that we think of it in an Instagram sense. It's in a much different sense. Here's how he writes it, or how he preached it. He said, I suddenly remembered that no one can enter heaven except as a child. Faith as a child. And nothing is so obvious in a child, not in a conceited child, but in a good child, as its great and undisguised pleasure in being praised. But not only in a child either, but even in a dog or a horse. Apparently what I had mistaken for humility had all these years prevented me from understanding what is in fact the humblest, the most childlike, the most creaturely of pleasures, the specific pleasure of the inferior. The pleasure of a beast before men, a child before its father, a pupil before his teacher, a creature before its creator. So when Jesus offers us the glory that comes from God over the glory that comes from man, we get to delight in the pleasurable reality that he knows me. It's like, would you like to be known by a billion people on Facebook, or would you like to be known by God? And the pleasure that you receive in being inferior in his presence and him knowing you. And um, it, it may, it's so weird, but we have a golden retriever, Mia, who is, I think she's like, Special in a way that our other dogs and other dogs have ever been around. She has this quiet demeanor to her, but and uh, Hannah jokes that like things I like about her is that basically she worships me. So so you know it's, it's very selfish like that you love. But um, like if I sit down at the couch, she will always put her head as close to me as possible, and not in an annoying way, but in a very patient like. I would give nothing more than you petting me. There's nothing else in this world I would desire than you giving me attention right now, you know? And I'm just kind of like, I like that it's there, you know? It's it's good for my soul to give her a little pet, you know, and be like, thank you for worshiping me, you know? And you just can tell, like, Mia derives such pleasure from, you know, like, it's like, I've been waiting all day just to sit here and look at you and wait for you to pet me. And that's how I'm interpreting her face when she looks at me and sits in front of me and stuff. Um, and what Lewis is saying is like, that is what Jesus is saying when he says, I want to give you glory. I, I don't want you, if your desire is for the glory of all mankind, to make you the king of some castle somewhere. He's like, Jesus is like, if you would just desire me seeing you, knowing you, giving you attention. And Lewis says, it's like you're that dog or you're that child with a pure heart that just their heart soars when they're praised. In the most sinless way, their heart soars when when one that they know is superior to them is giving them attention and giving them praise, delighting in being inferior. And then the second definition of glory, luminosity, is the reality that we will shine in Jesus. So the luminosity that's talking about here is not having our name in lights, But when Jesus' name is in lights over our life, that just as the moon has no inherent light of itself, but the moon shines because it's reflecting the sun, that in that same way, and we looked at this last week, that Jesus even calls us sons and daughters of light if the light of the world is our life, if the center of our life is on Jesus. So when we believe the light of the world, as we saw last week, um, he thinks of us as sons and daughters of light. And um, so Lewis, like, turns his sermon towards, like, when I look at Jason CeeLo, do I see someone who God has given his glory, his attention on Jason? And God sees Jason, and, and, and God, God sees them. And, and we could go towards each person, And by seeing them is illuminating them and is bringing light in the darkness, changing them from the inside out. And Lewis thinks about how he would view other people differently, seeing the glory that Jesus is giving to them and the luminosity that is forming as they shine because they are reflecting him. And Lewis says, remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities is with the awe and the and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another all friendships all loves all play all politics there are no ordinary people you have never talked to a mere mortal nations cultures arts civilization these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. So the Roman Empire is, the, is a gnat compared to us who will live forever in one or two places. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors and everlasting splendors. And remember, this is... This is like World War II will last for three, four more years. In the, in the darkness of England having the Blitzkrieg on top of them, in the midst of, of just all of the darkness that was happening in their society at that time, one of the reasons they say that people say this is one of the most powerful, um, life changing messages when you look at the impact that this message had. It's a simple message, it's shorter than the message I'm preaching even, that it would be for him to preach this entire message about what Jesus is offering us versus even if we, if we defeat the, all of Hitler and all of those people, what Jesus is offering us and even inviting us to desire that, to desire him, not to settle for less, And even in the hardest situations in life where there seems like the light is gone, that compared when when we think of his glory and what he's giving to us, being known by him, noticed by him, illuminated by Jesus, um, 2 Corinthians 4.17 should come to mind in a powerful passage. It says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's where the name of his sermon comes from. He interestingly never actually quotes this sermon in his passage, but it's so obvious by the sermon he's preaching that this, this, this verse is, is guiding it for this light, momentary affliction. Any affliction we're experiencing, any affliction of our age, all, he calls it light and momentary. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Uh, Then, after Jesus says, verse 43, verse 44, look how verse 44 starts. And Jesus cried out and said. This isn't this, like, calm, collected, civilized guy, whispering um, this is a man who knows he has a week left to live, who is crying out, pleading with us these, these final words. He says, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me, their own free will, and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. This is his commandment. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. That's the Father's commandment. Tell them, if if they want to know what I want them to do and to be, eternal life. And that's a, crazy, personal, powerful, and specific, and loving commandment. I want you to have eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me, is how that ends. That's, he's not providing a lot of fine print. He, that's what he cried out. And w- would we believe this morning, whoever believes in me, would we believe this morning, for the first time, Or maybe the joy of believing continually since the first time. To be in the light, not in the darkness. To be free from judgment. To receive his glory. To obey the Father's command to us. Eternal life. uh, The way to walk out this command is by coming to the source of life. And we're, we're moving into um, communion. And what communion is, is us communing with Jesus. Not with a memorial of Jesus, like let's think back way back when. It's us actively communing with him now. Who he is. He's alive and well. We will see him face to face. And when we see him face to face at the wedding feast of the Lamb, we will, I think we'll have communion <laughs> but it will be of a different nature where he is present with us. Um, he is present with us in a way that he is powerful here, he knows here, he is working here. We will see him face to face until we do. He gives us this to commune with him, to move towards the source of our life. And if you have yet to give your life to Jesus, this I don't think this will mean very much to you, so even though, and people won't be judging anybody. I mean, this is between us and God. We're doing this collectively, but it, it is um, communing with him. Um, if you have yet to give your life to Jesus, to put your trust in him, uh, I would encourage you, don't, this won't mean much. What will mean much is giving your life to him, meeting with him. And then, and then come to the table, and I'd love to talk with you about that. Um, for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, we're not better than anybody else. Uh, We've just, by God's grace, have responded. And that's why we're like, hey, if if I can find him, you can find him. If I can be changed by him, you can be changed by him too. And so uh, it's good and right for us to meet with him, to to pray to him, to open our, our life up to him, for him to disciple us however he wants, encourage us however he wants. The Father's command is for our eternal life. And this is a way for us to commune with him, receive life from him. Uh, the Hintons will be serving us communion this morning. Thank you all for doing that. And the, the way that they will do it is uh, when you're ready, we'll come down the center aisle and they will take bread. And if you just have your hands like this, they'll place the bread in your hands and say, this is the body of Jesus given for you. This is, uh, we're doing this together and individually as Jesus uh, meets with us as well. Uh, then wine or juice, obey your conscience there. So uh, w- what we'll do, spend some time with him, uh, then let's, let's respond, uh, then take the elements, uh, then we'll remain standing uh, at our seats and we'll take it together as family. So let's respond to him.